Okay, well, so we're going to continue this morning in our series on the gospel-shaped life that's, Lord willing, going to run through this summer. And and so we're going to continue looking at the gospel. So uh, two weeks ago, we we looked at and and answered the question, what is the gospel? And then last week, Robert pointed us to the joy of the gospel that that comes from a reconciled relationship to God um, through faith in the Son, And this week, we're going to look at the hope of the gospel. The hope of the gospel. The gospel message is a message of hope, and that hope characterizes or shapes the Christian life. Thus, the fitting place in this series on the gospel-shaped life, we're going to look at what's the hope of the gospel. And so this morning, we're going to be looking... So this morning, we're going to be looking specifically at a passage in Colossians chapter 1, and we're going to be looking at the the issue or or the topic of the hope of the gospel, and our aim is going to be to to wrap our minds around verse 5 of Colossians chapter 1, specifically where Paul says that there is a hope laid up for the Christian in heaven. And so I want to ask, well, what, what is that? What is the hope laid up for the Christian in heaven? And so I want us to think about that, and then we're going to look at, at what Peter says about the hope of the gospel. And I think as we, as we listen to the Apostle Paul and the Apostle Peter, I think my hope is that we will understand the hope of the gospel at the end of our time together. And what we're going to see is that Paul seems to say that the hope of the gospel is what motivates or provokes the Christian life, namely, or specifically, faith and love. We're going to see that in Colossians chapter 1. And so it follows that the gospel-shaped life is a life that's built upon the hope of the gospel. So I want us to know what is the hope of the gospel. And so if you have your Bibles, Colossians chapter 1, it'll be on the screen, but, but I would prefer if you just had a Bible that you opened and looked in that. You can't take the screen home with you um, to read uh, by yourself, but you can't have a Bible. So Colossians chapter 1, I'm going to actually read verses 1 through 14, um, then I'm going to pray for us, then we will, we will look at the hope of the gospel. But Colossians chapter 1, beginning in verse 1, and I'll read through verse 14. Colossians 1, chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love that you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you've heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel, which has come to you as indeed in the whole world. It is bearing fruit and increasing as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit." And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son 
in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Let me pray for, for our time together. Father, what a, what a blessing it is to sit and just, just read publicly your word. And so, if we, Father, I thank you for our opportunity here in this place, in this time, that, that we can gather together corporately and can publicly read your scriptures. And Father, I pray as we, as we look at these, pass, these verses and, and a few other passages, Lord, would you, would you encourage us? Father, it is, it is your kindness that we have been qualified, that we are partakers in your kingdom. We have been transferred, not of our own doing, but, but on account of your grace. We have been transferred from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of Christ, your beloved Son. And it is in him that we have redemption. It is in him that we have forgiveness of sins. And so would we see Christ more clearly as a result of our time today? Would he be lifted up and would he draw all men and women and boys and girls to himself over these next minutes together? And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Well, there's three points here that we're going to work through and we're going to spend the majority of the time on point two, but, but first, point one, what we're going to look at is, is just hope in the New Testament. That's going to be very brief, but just to, to look at the New Testament and, and specifically how the Apostle Paul talks about hope, okay, because that's our focus. What is the hope of the gospel? We're going to look at the hope in the New Testament. Then we're going to look at hope in Colossians 1. That's what we're going to hone in on verses 3, 4, and 5. And we'll also look at, at verse 23 and 27 of chapter 1, but we'll look at hope in Colossians. What is Paul saying about the hope of the gospel in Colossians 1? And then finally, we'll see Jesus as our living hope. That's when we'll go to 1 Peter chapter 1, and we'll see how the apostle Peter understands Jesus as the, the hope of the Christian. And so those are our three points that we'll work through together. So first there, hope in the New Testament. So before we look at Colossians 1, I just want to take a minute and look how hope is used in the New Testament, specifically by the Apostle Paul. Now it's important because as we turn to Colossians 1, it's going to be important to recognize what does Paul mean when he uses the word hope? That's going to prevent us from being confused, but it's also going to encourage us to know, well, what is this hope that's going to motivate us and encourage us as we aim to live gospel-centered life? So how is hope used? Well, when Paul specifically uses the word hope in the New Testament, there, there, there are often two ways that he uses the word hope. Okay, the first way is when he talks about the act of hoping. The act of hoping, the, the, the attitude of hope. That's the first way. The second way would, would be hope as an objective content of hope, a, an, a, an objective thing. It is a hope. So for instance, this first case, which I would assume is, is what most of us think about when we think of hope, we think about this forward-looking attitude or, or mindset of hope. So Romans chapter 4, Paul would say, in, in hope, Abraham believed against hope that he will be the father of many nations. And so God had made a promise. He says, I, I, I believe that what God said is going to be, be accomplished, so I, I set my hope on that. I'm hoping that God is going to accomplish his promises. Later in, in, in the book of Romans, chapter 8, Paul would, would talk about we, we hope for what we don't see. You don't hope for what you see, you hope for something in the future. So it's this act of hoping, this is attitude of hope. And Paul would say in Romans 8, when we don't see it, we wait for it with patience because we know it's going to come to pass, but we're, we're waiting for it. It's a hope. Or most basically in Philippians chapter 2, when Paul says, I hope to send Timothy to you soon. 
So, so that's the first way that hope is used. It's this act of hoping, an attitude of hope, this joyful expectancy. Now that's, that's where, where most of us go when we hear hope. And that is, that is correct. That is one way that Paul uses it. However, there's another way Paul uses hope in the New Testament. And that's the other way is how he's using it in Colossians 1. And the second way when hope is referred to, when he uses it this way, it's referred to, he's referring to an objective content. And so in these instances, Paul uses hope to define the thing that Christians hope for. So they hope for the hope, this objective hope. And it's this future hope, this, this forward reality that's going to be realized, that, that's going to be experienced. It's this, the, the totality of blessing that awaits the Christian in the life to come. The, the future hope, the, the future heavenly blessedness of the people of God, one commentator puts it. And the second sense is what we see at work in Colossians chapter 1. He, he's talking about this objective content of hope, this, this thing and so that's helpful for us as we look now, second point, at hope in Colossians 1. So Paul, in verses 3 through 8, he, he's going to talk about hope in this second sense of the word. So, so I just, you know, I want you to look at verses 3 through 8, which we just read. But, but let me read it again real quick, and then we'll, we'll, we'll work through this. But Paul, Paul says, we, thank, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love that you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you've heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel which has come to you. Okay, so, so that's how Paul is beginning this letter to the church. And so Paul be- begins the letter to the Colossians in the typical way. He, he's expressing thanksgiving. He's expressing to the Christians in this town, in this city, how thankful he is for them. He wants them to know, hey, I regularly pray for you. And at this point, we should recognize he's never even met them yet. He's only heard about them from Epaphras. But notice in verse 4 what he says that he heard about them. He says, we thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Verse 4, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for the saints. So Paul hears about their faith in Christ and their love for all the saints. Now, now it's easy to read over these verses and think, well, well, this is just his introduction. We don't really need to pay attention to those. But remember, as Paul is speaking and writing under the influence of the Holy Spirit, he is operating under, he, he has this triad that he'll sometimes use with faith and hope and another virtue. And so what faith and love are often accompanied by the third virtue, which is what? Hope. And that's exactly where he goes in verse 5. So he says, we heard about your faith in Christ and your love for the saints because of the hope that's laid up for you in heaven. So so here's these three virtues. And notice the relationship between faith, hope, and love. Paul heard about their faith in Christ and their love for all the saints. But then he doesn't say, verse 5, he heard also about their hope. He doesn't say, I heard about your faith in Christ, I heard about your love for the saints, and I heard about the hope. That's not the relationship between these three. Do you see that? Do you see what he says differently about hope? Look how verse 5 begins. It begins with, with a, a, a preposition. So in Greek, it's a preposition, the dia. And, and, and dia, this preposition, relates verse 4 to the first phrase in verse 5. And what Paul is saying, how faith and love are related to hope, is that faith in Christ and love for all the saints are on account of or caused by the hope laid up for them in heaven. That is the logic of faith, hope, and love here in Colossians. 
We thank God when we pray for you since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love that you have for all the saints because of, on account of, the hope that's laid up for you in heaven. So this hope, this objective hope, which is laid up for them in heaven, is what motivates their faith in Christ and their love for all the saints. Now this is significant. If you're familiar with with 1 Corinthians 13, he uses this triad there. He says, hey, these three remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest is what? Love. So he's saying something different here than he does in 1 Corinthians 13. In 1 Corinthians 13, as he's talking about spiritual gifts, love is to be preeminent. Love is to characterize and dictate and govern all the use of spiritual gifts. And so the greatest is love. But here he's making a different point. He's, he isn't saying that hope is greater than love. He's saying in this context that hope is the ground or the incentive for faith and love, which is significant. One commentator claims it's remarkable that, that faith and love are described as dependent upon hope. Hope is the foundation that, that drives or motivates faith and love. In fact, if, if the version, the translation of the Bible that you have is the New International Version, the NIV, the translation of the NIV makes this point perfectly clear. So the NIV translates verse 4 and 5 this way. Listen to how, how they make this interpretation. They, they make this decision how they translate. And I think it's right. He says, because we've heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love that you have for all God's people, verse 5, the faith and love that spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven. So do you see how that translation makes an interpretive decision, namely that faith and love spring from the hope that's stored up in heaven? And so first we see from Colossians 1, these verses, that hope is the ground for faith and love, serving as the motivating impulse of Christian faith and love. But second, notice, notice how the hope is described in verse 5. Verse 5, because of, on account of the hope laid up for you in heaven. So in this case, it's, it's, not, it's not an act of hoping, right? This is a subjective thing. Paul isn't saying, because you're hoping for something laid up for heaven, hope is the thing laid up in heaven. It's the objective content. They have a certain and a sure hope that is laid up for them in heaven, which means, we can't spend a lot of time here, but it means that this hope is untouchable by the things of this world. It is secure in the heavenlies. It's safe and secure, We'll say more about that in just a minute. But so far, so from Colossians, we see not only is hope foundational for faith and love, but also hope is something laid up for them in heaven. It's an objective reality. But notice, thirdly, how the Colossians came to know this hope. Do you see how verse 5 continues? So verse 4, since we heard your faith in Jesus Christ, the love you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, verse 5, that, that sentence in the beginning, middle of verse 5, of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel, which has come to you. So do you see the phrase of this or about which? That phrase that begins the sentence in the beginning of verse five refers to the hope that he's just mentioned in verse four, or in verse five, the hope laid up for heaven. This hope laid up for heaven, you heard first when the gospel came to you. That's his logic there, which makes a key point for us in this whole series that Paul says that they heard about the hope that's laid up for them in heaven when Epaphras preached the gospel to them. Which means very clearly that the hope, this hope, is central to the gospel. Again, the hope laid up in heaven for the Christians that Paul's writing to, is, which is the basis of their faith in Christ and their love for all the saints, is a hope that they heard about when the gospel first came to them. You see the connection. The gospel is a message of hope. Right? So, so this whole sermon makes sense because there is a hope of the gospel because Paul clearly connects this hope with the preaching of the gospel to them. 
hope is intrinsic to the message of the gospel. The word of truth cannot be understood apart from a word of hope. There is a hope of the gospel. Which leads us finally here under the, under the second point to the two other places that Paul uses this, this same word. In fact, he only uses this word hope three times in this letter to the Colossians, and they're all right here in chapter three, or in chapter one. So, so we see here in verse five, but, but, but look down at verse 23, because that's the next occurrence. We, we know as you read the, the letter, Paul is writing because the, this false teaching has infiltrated the church. There's a false teaching that Paul is writing to combat. And one of the main purposes is for them to be reminded to hold fast to the gospel that they received and believed. In fact, this this is a common theme throughout Paul's letters. Don't abandon the gospel. There's going to be false teachings that come in. Remember the gospel. And that's what he's doing in Colossians. And more specifically, he wants them to hold fast to the hope of the gospel. And one of the reasons that he is urging them to hold fast to the hope of the gospel is because these empty philosophies, these false teachings that that are infiltrating the church, they hold forth, in reality, no objective hope. They're hopeless. And Paul is saying, remember the gospel because that is where hope, real, true, genuine, objective hope is found, and it's found nowhere else. The hope offered by these false teachers paled in comparison to the hope offered in the gospel. So Paul says, look down there at verse 21. He says, And you, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death, talking about Jesus, he's reconciled in his body by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Verse 23 If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. So here, verse 23, do you see what's required for of the Christians there in in Colossae? I mean, I don't think it's an exaggeration to say that Paul is communicating that their salvation is contingent upon them continuing in the faith, persevering in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel. Paul understands here in verse 23, like he did in verse 5, that the gospel is a message that contains a specific hope. It is the hope of the gospel in verse 23. And this hope of the gospel must not be moved off of. It must not be abandoned. I mean, I think if we could pull Paul up and we could say, hey, Paul, do you mean that if you abandon Christ, you can't be saved? I think he'd say, yes. Why would anyone think you can be saved apart from holding fast to Christ? How how does that make sense? Don't shift from the hope of the gospel, he says in verse 23. And then further down in verse 27 is the final place that Paul mentions hope in this letter. And once again, I I think we see the objective nature of hope being worked out. Look at verse 27. And again, we're we're just jumping in. This is one of the many reasons Will and I have talked about the the difficulty of preaching topical sermons. So I'm here in Colossians 1, and I want to just go through Colossians from verse 1 all the way through. But but this summer we're taking a break, and it's going to be beneficial. We trust the Lord can use this. but, But I just want to spend time in Colossians, but I'm not doing that. So we're jumping in in verse 27, and he says, to them, and he's referencing to the the, the church, this combination of Jew and Gentile, this one body, to them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles 
are the riches of his glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Now again, there's so much we can't dive into. I simply want you to see the revelation of God's riches are seen in the inclusion of the Gentiles into the people of God. And that, that, that's, that's, that's the, the thing that people can't wrap their minds around in the first century church. But, but Jews and Gentiles are included. Gentiles are included into God's people. And that inclusion is marked by Christ. And Christ, Paul says, indwells all his people, Jews and Gentiles. That's the mystery of the gospel that is revealed in the coming of Jesus. They're, they're no longer two, but in Christ there's one. And all who trust in Christ love all the saints and are indwelt by Christ, who is, he says, the hope of glory. Again, this Christ is referred to as the hope of glory. Or Christ in you is the hope of glory. In other words, the mystery, long hidden but now revealed, is the indwelling of Christ in his people. Whether Jew or Gentile, it doesn't matter. Faith in Christ leads to the indwelling of Christ. And the general truth is that Christ dwelling in the believer is the ground for certainty of complete salvation. Christ in the believer, which we know from, from other teachings of the New Testament, happens through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, is the hope of glory. Christ dwelling with his people is the guarantee or the sure hope of heaven. Which, in light of verse 5 and verse 23 of Colossians 1, helps us understand here with verse 27 what Paul means by hope of glory. That hope, the hope of heaven, the hope that must be held fast to, is a hope that cannot be separated from the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the hope of the gospel. That that is the answer to the question, what is the hope of the gospel? The hope of the gospel is Jesus Christ. And I want us to look at 1 Peter to, to see how Peter believes the same thing and and more explicitly teaches this truth. So so turn to 1 Peter chapter 1. Now hopefully you're still with me. I understand it's been repetitive, but but it's it's really simple, but it's it's, it's pretty significant to to recognize this. And here in 1 Peter 1 is where it kind of all comes together. Hopefully, at least in my mind, it comes together. So hopefully it comes together in your mind also. But we're going to look at verse... 3, 4, and 5 of 1 Peter 1. And so remember, all that we've said about the hope of the gospel and it being identified with the person of Jesus, listen to what Peter says as he begins his letter. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy... He has caused us to be born again, begotten again, to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Now again, so much that we could, we could dive into here, and a lot that we probably should dive into here at some point. But for our purposes this morning, just notice the similar language between 1 Peter 1 and the language we saw in Colossians 1. So in, in verse 3, Peter says that according to God's great mercy, he's caused us to be born again to something, to a living hope. Not a dead hope, not a futile hope, not a fleeting hope, not an endangered hope, but a living hope. Hope. 
And notice how this living hope has been secured for those who've been born again through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And so again, the living hope of the Christian cannot be separated from the resurrected Christ. In fact, when we consider what Paul says in Colossians 1 and what Peter says here in 1 Peter 1, 3, I think it's explicit that the hope of the gospel is Jesus Christ, crucified, buried, raised, and ascended into heaven. And that's where the similarities continue. Did you notice how in verse 4 of 1 Peter 1, the inheritance, how it's described, the inheritance that awaits the believer. Yes, it's imperishable, undefiled, unfading. In fact, we could preach a whole sermon. So in Peter's writing to, 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 to Jewish Christians, the Jews, what did they know about inheritance? Their inheritance had been given graciously by God and, and it was involved land. But, but what happened to that inheritance? Right? They lost it. It was ruined. Their, their sin led to the loss of it or invasion led to the loss of it. And so he says, hey, there's an inheritance that's far greater than anything you've ever known that's come to you through Christ. It is imperishable, undefiled, unfading. We could spend a whole sermon there, but we're not. He says not only those things about it, but he says it's kept where? In heaven for you. Which is similar, isn't it, to what Paul said in, first, in, in Colossians 1.5 about the hope that's laid up for you in heaven? This hope, this inheritance, this salvation is inseparable from and inextricably tied unto the resurrected Christ. He is the hope of the gospel, our hope, our living hope, like we just sang. One commentator puts it this way. It's just a great quote. Christian hope is ever living because Christ, the ground of that hope, is ever living. We have a living hope, right? The Christian hope will cease to be living when Christ ceases to be alive. Which, guess what? That's never going to happen. Christ has been raised victorious over death, never to die again, ever. And so the Christian hope is inextricably tied to the resurrected Christ. And so it is an ever-living hope because Christ, the ground of that hope, is ever-living, This commentator continues, the present reality of the Christian's life is defined and determined by the reality of the past, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and it's guaranteed into the future because Christ lives forevermore. And so this is the hope of the gospel. The substantive, objective hope of the gospel is found in a person, a crucified, buried, raised, and ascended person, Jesus Christ. Which then leads us back to Colossians 1 and and listen to how how he explains this process in verses 21 through 23 of Colossians 1. And you who are once alienated and hostile in mind doing evil deeds, he's now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard. So so the gospel that is proclaimed is a gospel of a crucified, buried, and resurrected Christ. And it's been proclaimed by by Paul and Epaphras. And it was proclaimed to you. If you're a believer, the, the crucified and buried and resurrected Christ was proclaimed to you. And so Paul, we have the hope connected to the person of Jesus, the resurrected Christ, continuing in the faith, remaining steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel, is done by holding fast to Christ. 
He is the sure and certain hope. To hold fast to Christ until the end is to know hope. Because Christ is our hope. You want to make it to the end? Hold fast to Christ. The flip side, you want to lose hope? Forsake Christ. To neglect holding fast to him is to neglect the hope that God has mercifully and graciously provided for us in the gospel. To hold fast to Christ is to hold fast to the hope of the gospel. Because you cannot have hope, you cannot have salvation, you cannot have the promised inheritance apart from Christ. Christ is the hope of the gospel. And we respond by trusting in Christ, by putting our faith in Christ. We hold fast to him. And so if you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, if you examine your life and and you can honestly recognize that you are not holding fast to Christ, you're not trusting in him, You're not relying on him for the forgiveness of your sins and the hope of eternal life. If that's you this morning, there is hope for you in the person of Christ. It doesn't matter how long you've gone to church. It doesn't matter how bad you think you've been. Your hope is found in Jesus Christ, crucified, buried, and raised again. I am sure that your life has been filled with other philosophies, with other worldviews that promise hope. And I can promise you that they will all fail to deliver on that promise. They will. They will. There is one hope that will never fail. And that is Jesus Christ, crucified, buried, raised. And so if you're not a Christian, Christ died, was crucified, so that you could be reconciled to him and know him and be reconciled to your creator. And so the, the command, the demand, the, the impetus, the, the call to you is to repent and put your faith in Jesus. You will not be turned away. He does not reject any who come to him. And so non-Christian, I would call you and urge you, if you need to talk more about this, please, I, I'm happy to talk with you and to, to continually point you to the crucified and resurrected Christ. Maybe you have a Christian friend or a parent or a grandparent who, who could help talk you through your questions. But please know there is hope in Christ and that hope will never let you down. But for the Christian, what a good reminder for us this morning. The Lord Jesus Christ, the one who has ascended to the right hand of God the Father, the one who is coming back again to judge the living and the dead, this one is the one who died Christ was crucified. He was crucified in the place of sinners, paying a debt that was owed by you and by me. And in his death, he has purchased people, men and women, boys and girls. He's purchased people from every tribe and tongue and nation. And he's purchased them, not with a credit card or or with a perishable uh, piece of gold or silver, but he's purchased his people with his precious blood. He is the one, the lamb who was slain, the one who was temporarily conquered by death, the one who descended unto the dead, but who also three days later rose again victorious, 
the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, who has conquered, who's been raised victorious over sin and death, conquering all of his enemies, of whom all will one day be in perfect subjection under his feet. It is going to happen. He has been raised never to die again because death no longer has dominion over him. He is the one who is our living hope. And because of the hope of the gospel, because of the death, resurrection, and ascension of the Lord Jesus Christ, because of the certainty and surety of what he's done for us, we can live lives of faith and love here and now. That sure hope affects here and now. It does. We are called to live gospel-shaped lives. So in the midst, especially in the New Testament, as Peter's writing, in the midst of suffering or persecution, the hope of the gospel enables endurance. Why? It does so because no amount of suffering or persecution or trial or difficulty can rob the Christian of the resurrected Christ. The hope of the gospel is secure and will endure all suffering that comes the way of God's people. In the midst of difficult relationships or in the midst of difficult life circumstances, the hope of the gospel enables faithfulness and perseverance. Why it does so? Because God's love has been shown to us in the sinning of his son to die on the cross and pay for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to what? Love one another. If you have trouble loving a difficult spouse or child or neighbor or church member sitting beside you right now, you need to reflect and meditate on the love of God that's been freely shown to you in the Son. That's a gospel-shaped life. So we remember the love that God's shown for us. Next week, Lord willing, we're going to spend the sermon on loving one another. And we love others because we've been loved. That, that's it. But the gospel, the hope of the gospel enables faithfulness in difficult relationships in the midst of a life that is physically wearing down. How many of you are just tired you have aches, you have pains you didn't know you had before, right? I'm 37 and I'm feeling that. So I know some of you have been feeling it for a long time. But in the midst of a life that's physically wearing down as the years continue to pass by, year after year after year, as your bodies continue to break down, as your spouses, your friends, your neighbors are all closing their eyes in death, as this continues to happen, the hope of the gospel enables confidence and joy even in the midst of a breaking down body. It does so because the hope of the gospel extends far beyond the grave. It reaches much deeper down than, than the outer man. Because of the resurrection of Christ from the grave, we know that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us into his presence. So we do not lose heart Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this earthly, light, momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. In the midst of a body breaking down in discouragement, the resurrected Christ gives us great hope. We can, we can get through the day because Christ has been raised. In the midst of spiritual discouragement or difficulty, if you just feel, you feel blah spiritually, it's okay to feel that. I feel that. In the midst of that, the hope of the gospel enables hanging on to Christ. Because the hope of the gospel is, as we just read in Colossians 1, 
The hope of the gospel is that we've been qualified to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. We've been delivered from the domain of darkness and transferred into the kingdom of the beloved son, the one in whom we have redemption and forgiveness of sins. Our hope is contingent on the work of Christ, what he has done. Our qualification and acceptance is based on the finished work of Christ, not on our ongoing endeavor to love and faithfully follow him. Do you get that? I mean, that's an amen. I'm not qualified because, because I'm keeping it together. My citizenship isn't based on, on my credentials or my knowledge or even my faithfulness. My acceptance, my qualification is based on what Christ has done for me. And so my faithfulness, my attitude, my zeal, these are all things that ebb and flow and they do not qualify or disqualify me. And so I can persevere and I can cling to Christ in the midst of discouragement. Our hope, the hope of the gospel, our hope in life and death is and must be found solely in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so my prayer for myself, for my family, my, my, my prayer for you as my brothers and sisters is that the hope of the gospel would compel us to live gospel-centered lives. We have great hope. Let, let's pray.